welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. I am Lisa Piazza. Here with me, as always, is Brianna Vallejo and JC Macias. And today we're really excited to have this conversation. Today we're going to be talking about gender and not just gender. We're going to be talking about kind of how our society, how our media kind of plays an impact on our gender, right? Kind of how we see ourselves, the messaging that we get. And so for a few kind of disclaimers to start off, first and foremost, uh, we are going to be discussing the gender binary. So despite the fact there's other genders that fall on the gender spectrum, we're only going to be discussing the binary today because what we wanted to do is talk about especially media effects on gender, right? So things that have been researched, uh, things that have been kind of studied, we have evidence-based information about really how media and advertising has made an impact on masculinity and femininity in our society. And so as much as we would love to be inclusive of other genders, that research just has not exactly been done yet. So we don't want to misrepresent those communities by bringing any false information. And so that being said, let's start with a really big statement. Gender is a socially constructed idea. And let's take just a moment here, because that may hit a little strangely, right? Or that may, that may sound a little weird. But gender is a socially constructed idea, right? Meaning that we are not born with qualities that are masculine or feminine. So yeah, we're born a biological sex. We're born uh, with certain DNA, right? Chromosomes in our DNA and anatomical body parts. But as far as what makes uh, a man, right? What men should look, act, be like, behave like, and what makes women, right? Real women or how they should look, act, and behave. These are all ideas, concepts that we've really created, right? So our society has come up with kind of these rules, these expectations of how women and men should look, act, and behave. And those things just kind of get continually reinforced, right? And this is happening uh, throughout our lives, really. We're going to talk about a lot today, right? Kind of different developmental points and what's really happening. And we know uh, that this is happening early, right? We know that this is happening kind of before kids are even born into this world, right? And I know uh, Brianna, uh, congratulations again. Brianna shared with us that she right now is pregnant, right? And expecting a child. So, and JC as well. JC's a mother of two. So, just out of interest, how you've kind of seen, right, some of these uh, these messages being shared. Yeah, I can share that. So we just found out the sex. It was about two or three weeks ago now. But of course, you want to do all the shopping and stuff before then. Like as soon as you find out you're pregnant, you want to go out and buy all the tiny little <laughs> socks and clothes and all of that. And I just found it incredibly difficult to find really cute things that weren't specifically like, okay, I can tell that's marketed for a baby boy. Or I can tell that's marketed mm. for a little girl. You know, yeah, anything gray, but <laughs> like outside <laughs> of grays and whites and blacks, everything else, even if it was like green, it would have like flowers on it. And I'm like, okay, I can tell that's marketed towards a little girl. You know, it was so hard to start the shopping really and get things that I really liked and felt like were beyond just gray, black and white <laughs> without yeah. really knowing what the sex of our baby is. So now knowing that it's a girl, uh, now I can buy more things, even though it's like, okay, before we found out the sex, 
I bought, my husband's a firefighter. So I did buy some little outfits that had like fire trucks and things like that. And there's a part of me of course, like, okay, if it's a girl, I'll just return these. But what, why can't a little girl wear that? Like the fire trucks and daddy's my hero or future little hero, things like that. Like, why is that? You know, it's because yeah. there is that expectation that the girls wear all the flowers and things like that. And the boys are the trucks and the dinosaurs. Like who, where along the way did we decide that? <laughs> so that's what I we're going to be looking into today and really breaking down is how did we come to that of seeing a plant or a vehicle and automatically gendering that as what you should yeah. put on a child. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's so much gender role stereotypes, right? And like the traditional gender role norm that um, everyone kind of has set as, you know, as a society. And so as a mother of two, like Lisa mentioned, I have a boy and a girl. And so one thing I remember specifically standing out is um, we went to go watch one of my daughter's uh, soccer games and my son loves one of her dolls. Right. And so she kind of handed it over to her. Like you can have my doll. I don't really care for it anymore. She's 10. And so I clearly remember people making comments or remarks like, Oh, you're not supposed to play with that. Or like, is that your doll? You know, or is that your girlfriend? And so to me, it was like very inappropriate. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I don't care if he's a boy, if he is attracted to any type of toy or anything he wants to do, I, I always say the sky is a the limit. There's no limit around, you know, well, this is your gender. So you have to only play with cars and trucks. It's like, no, if he wants to play with dolls or he wants to play, you know, kitchen or anything like that, it's definitely okay. But society says otherwise. Right. And that's why people, um, reacted in that way and responded in that way as in like you know that's kind of not appropriate or you know he's a boy he's not supposed to play with that and so I just thought it was like the funniest thing because I was trying really hard not to react <laughs> and, and not you know in um, such a negative way but I was just like it's okay if you, he's a boy but if he wants to play with any item he can play with it I don't care what type of toy it is um, it's okay and so the reaction was just kind of like okay you can tell they were trying to process it again it's not something that is considered normal or, you know, seen as um, something that a boy does, right? But again, you know, I don't, it shouldn't matter. All these expectations that we kind of have in regards to, you know, this is your gender, this is what you're supposed to play with, or this is how you're supposed to be. I always say just goes out the window because at the end of the day, we're all humans, we're all individuals, and we're all so different, right? We can't have specific stereotypes or norms tell us how we should be or how we should raise our children. So that's just a little example of something that I experienced. And again, you know, it's not always the easiest um, <laughs> to deal with or just to respond to. But for me, it was just a perfect example of what society sometimes expects from specific gender roles. Yeah. And kind of how quickly we are and others are to kind of show up to reinforce that. Right. And I appreciate you kind of both speaking to, to personal situations. And I think we've all done that. Right. We've all had a moment where maybe kind of like Bree said, right, recognizing taking a moment, being self-reflective, but kind of thinking like, oh, maybe I have to return these, right? Because this is kind of not gendered correctly before she, you know, had that moment and stopped and realized like, no, it's fine. Um, or even thinking about, you know, strangers, right? Other people kind of stepping in to tell your son like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, right? So it's it's really interesting to think about, you know, it's not just 
obviously not just something we're teaching to kids, right? And then just let it go of completely. I mean, like we are completely just engulfed with this, right? So this is just messaging that's really, I mean, it just goes to show, right? With again, how quick I think we are to kind of police these things, these expectations and Mm -hmm. respond and make sure that we're showing up and making sure that we're conforming in that way, right? Just kind of really goes to show the the power behind these gender roles uh, and these gender expectations, right? And, and the saturation, how much of this messaging we're getting, because honestly, to think about, right, like policing a complete stranger to, right, like follow this culture norm. I, I see you stepping out of it. It shows a great deal that this is extremely important to us, right? Obviously a very ingrained fear that we have or kind of an ingrained way of being, right, that we're trying to really uphold. And so I think it's so interesting because talking about toys, right, Mm -hmm. it is such an interesting concept to think about because in one way, I mean, just to me, it just seems so limiting, right? Because right off the bat, if we're kind of starting to limit hobbies or kind of gender track, uh, maybe specific interests, right, for both both, uh, genders, it really is kind of taking away all these other aspects, right? Maybe all these other types of creativity that little boys could show or these other, you know, interests in the STEM sciences, right? Engineering and math that that little girls could be participating in, right? And it really, it it becomes really, really limiting for us. And we know that it really does happen, right? Even though it's it's 2020, you know, we do see a little bit of that kind of gender nonconformity and the thing that fits outside of those gender norms, maybe some toys that do as well. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, everything's so pretty gender specific, right? I mean, the the bulk of kind of the messaging we see, the toys that we see out there, the clothing options, the colors are still pretty limited, right? So even with toys, right? So kind of to, to kind of pick this apart a little bit, thinking about, right, what were, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> what were you guys given? What were you guys given as toys when you were little? So what, I'm talking like a little tiny girl through like elementary school. What was what was given to you? What was your favorite toy? Well, I have a quick note on that really quick before I go into that while I'm thinking of what it was. <laughs> um, I'm in the process of like kind of building Amazon wish lists and things like that for baby toys and whatnot. And there's some toys that are, you know, the classic like orange and green and blues, like primary colors. And it's one price. And then there's a product that is exactly the same, but it's purples and pinks, maybe has some sparkles and things like that. And it's $20 more. So just Hmm. to get like the girlier version of it, you have to pay more. So I'm like, no, it's the same exact toy. (laughs) It's just different colors. I'm going to go ahead and do just the toy that has the primary colors, which is probably more beneficial for their development anyway. To be learning sure. more. <laughs> <laughs> right, more than just those two variations of color. Yeah. That's yeah. super interesting. I don't know how common that happens, but I've seen it a few times enough that I kind of noticed it as a pattern. So just throwing yeah. that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to think about the, the advantage, right? The financial advantage of that too, mm-hmm. kind of capitalizing off of us, reinforcing these messages towards each other, right? Yeah, they're capitalizing on it because they know (laughs) that people will specifically go with a toy that is, you know, more girly or boyish. So people will definitely spend the money, right? Maybe avoid some of those situations like your son had, right? Like you're playing with the wrong toy, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes maybe, you know, we kind of pay to 
avoid those situations, right? Or maybe just to make sure we're conforming. So yeah, that's super interesting. Even to think like now, right? Because I know you're baby shopping right now, you're pregnant now. So to think about in 2020, right? In a world mm -hmm. where those kinds of things still exist is, or that blatantly, right? With if, especially like a price differentiation, mm -hmm. super interesting. Um, so kind of thinking back, I will, I'll take the lead on talking about what toys I'll, t I'll talk about what toys were kind of given to me as a little girl, because uh, I will say I didn't always widely accept them. Um, I grew up with two brothers and, you know, I, I hate this, the term. I was known to be like a tomboy when I was little, right? So I grew up with two brothers. I was always playing sports. I wanted to be doing whatever they did. So if they were putting on football helmets and running outside, that was who I was that day, right? And so, but I'll tell you, right? And especially I think in the side of my father, right? Cause I was the one little girl in the family, you know, they did try to get me Barbies and things like that. I remember getting a little, a little kit. I don't think this is from my parents. I wanna say this was like a well-intended aunt or godmother, um, but I got like a little kit and it was a makeup palette. Keep in mind, I think I was, I may have been seven years old, maybe seven, <laughs> but I got this little kit. It was like a makeup palette and it was like eyeshadows and then like lip gloss and mm -hmm. blush, which I think it was just chalk. Like I'm pretty sure the entire <laughs> thing was like Crayola sidewalk chalk that you were just like rubbing on your pretty face good now chance. that I look back on it. <laughs> pretty good chance. I got that makeup kit and I also got um, it was, I don't think it was a Barbie, but it was a doll that had on little pink high heels. And then you got pink high heels that you were going to mm -hmm. try to cram your little child feet into, right? And match <laughs> the doll. And I just remember being seven and again, being like the tomboy, right? And kind of getting this and being like, I don't know what to do with this stuff, right? Like it just wasn't, it wasn't what I was interested in, right? So I was, I was learning and just adapting kind of um, who I was and, and not paying any attention to like what girls are supposed to be doing, right? So I just remember getting gifts like this, right? And just having it feel very strange, like almost like this was an image or this was kind of an identity that we're really looking for you to be. And we can kind of see that that's not your thing. Right. So we see you over here kind of be different from the realm. We'll give you things to try to help you conform. Right. And that all of that just confused me as a kid. I'll be so honest. Right. Because it just felt so normal to me. Like, what's wrong with me playing hockey with my brothers? What's wrong with me wanting to go and run outside and not wanting to sit inside and, and do tea party? Right. Or play mm -hmm. dollhouse when it just wasn't who I was. Right. And so I think it's so interesting to start thinking about how we kind of start normalizing, right? Especially certain things for, for girls and boys, right? But for females, a lot of it comes down to domesticating us, comes down to our looks, right? Um, so yeah, I want to open it up again. If you guys remember, and you may not, this was when we were children, but do you remember having certain kind of toys like that, right? Like those gendered specific toys when you were, when you were a young girl? I specifically remember having a Barbie car and maybe next time that we do a podcast <laughs> on anything similar like similar like this, I'll show you guys a picture because my mom has a picture of me in my Barbie car with Barbie glasses, like hot pink Barbie glasses. And I, would love I, think, to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think as a child, I was very um, girly in a sense, I guess, you know, where I did, you know, I loved Barbies. I loved items like that, but my sister was the complete opposite. Um, and I, and you know, when you use a term Lisa tomboy, that was the term that a lot of my family used with her. And I always just felt like, 
I didn't feel like it was an inappropriate term, but I didn't like it. I didn't like them referring to her in that way because it made her feel bad about who she was, you know, during that, that stage and during that time in her life, because she was not interested in playing with Barbies. I clearly remember wanting to play tea party or like, you know, Barbies with her and she hated it. And she would actually remove the heads of my Barbies off and like throw them away. And I used to get so upset with her. Like, what is wrong with you? And so for her, she was just like, no, I don't want to play that. Can we pretend to be horses? Can we pretend to, uh, you know, be a dog and like walk me? And I just thought it was like the strangest thing, but I realized that she was just so different and she identified herself very differently. And so, you know, um, there was such a big difference between her and I, but even as a young child, my mom said she, I was her first child and I was her first daughter. I was her first girl. So, you know, she did dress me up very girly. She did all everything pink. And so she's like, I think you just grew up, you know, and, and the way that I was, I wanted you to be, um, and kind of play that role, you know, of being a girl. And so as uh, a youth, I was very different. I ended up being a little more, um, sporty. I was more into sports and karate and like doing a lot of things like that. And most of my friends were guys and I, you know, identified myself a little bit differently. Um, but yes, I clearly remember as a child having like my pink Barbie car and like loving it. <laughs> we need that photo. We need the yes, photo of you in the car. I will definitely share it. I will definitely share it. It's the cutest thing. <laughs> I'm trying to think of early on, but I did think of a story when I was in fourth grade. So I remember at recess, I remember it was always so separated. The girls would be doing something, the boys would be doing something. So this particular day, the girls were, I kid you not, chasing butterflies. That's how I remember it. They were just, this, you know, the stereotypical <laughs> fourth grade girls just running around chasing the butterflies. And the boys were playing some version of a football game. And so I didn't want to be chasing butterflies. That didn't seem fun and exciting to me. So I went and played this whatever version of a football game with the boys. Reason I specifically remember this day is because I broke my arm. <laughs> oh. But I that just stands out that, you know, I could have quote unquote played it safe and been playing with the butterflies. <laughs> but I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to go play football. Ended up breaking my arm and I haven't played football since. But uh. <laughs> I specifically remember that like okay I have girls and boys I have two choices of where I can go right now yeah and I feel like I mean with the amount that I like really remember from elementary school I feel like that was so common right yeah. like where it was just such a divide right because mm -hmm. in, in the grand scheme of things it was kind of based on activities right like the activities and the things that we're interested in are supposed to be opposite right now, right? There was kind of like an idea of that. Um, like we're not supposed to be doing the same thing, right? So um, unfortunate about the broken arm, but kind of in context, I think it's at least like a cool story that, hey, you went and like played with the boys, right? Because I think about how often that probably doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. And I can even think about kind of times in my life where maybe, you know, I got a little bit older, was really feeling the sting of, you're not quite acting the way that we're expecting you to act, right? In a lot of different ways. Um, and it could just be really challenging. I know I kept, kept myself kind of back, right? Or started to kind of adapt or change myself because I was figuring like, if I'm going to get this much backlash from not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing, which maybe are things I don't want to do, right? Like I don't want to play dolls or, you know, chase butterflies. I'd rather be doing X, Y, and Z, but like, it was kind of like the backlash outweighed, right? Um, 
doing what I wanted to do. I would have much rather kind of started to conform and not have to deal with the comments, right? The looks, peers maybe being cruel or maybe adults being like, hey, girls don't play this game, right? Which kind of happens sometimes as well. So it's, it's interesting to think about and that aspect as well, right? Sometimes um, there's been, I, I know a lot of times, right? Where it's just that could keep you from kind of being who you are or going and exploring something that could be really interesting or really beneficial for you, right? Again, just kind of a huge circle back to the power of all this, right? To the power of this messaging and how much we keep ourselves really confined, right? And how sometimes it's challenging. Going outside of that box is scary, right? Because we have a lot of consequences for doing so a lot of the time. Um, and so moving away from kind of girls toys, right? Because again, to recap, we know that a lot of girls toys, it's, it's all about kind of domestication and really focusing on how we look mm-hmm. really an air that we have to spend like all of our time, effort, money, resources, focusing in on our looks, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge part of this. So this is why you see, you know, talking about domestication, this is why we see girls, especially baby girls, right? Being given baby dolls, like as you're a baby, you're already kind of learning how to take care of another baby, which already seemed kind of weird to me, right? Always didn't hit the right way for me. Um, but we're also giving girls, you know, like the dollhouse, kind of learning who does what role in the house, right? How to take care of it, the kitchen set, the easy bake oven, right? We're teaching girls kind of all of these domesticated qualities, rear child rearing, taking care of the house. And again, at the same time, those chalk makeup kits, those awful plastic torturous high heels, (laughs) right? And all of those things too. So it's really kind of, again, putting girls on this fast track that you need to put a lot of effort into your looks, right? That's what really kind of your value is based in. And at the end of the day, you know, all these other girls, they're all really doing a great job putting it into their looks because really we're all kind of competing, right? We want to be mothers. We want to have a house, want to have that family, right? And so we're kind of all competing for that, right? And the way that we educate young boys, right? And the messaging young boys are getting is so polar opposite of any of that, right? Which is really just interesting to think about in general. Um, And then once we start to kind of pick it apart, right? We don't see the same things being really kind of highlighted for boys is important, right? Um, It's not about maybe that relationship aspect, right? Or so much just about looks. There's a part of it that is, right? But for men, it becomes a lot more about status and power. Women may be a part of that as a status symbol, right? But there's a lot of different expectations for men, right? It's not focusing on being domesticated on what they look like. So men are getting, and same thing, right? Before they're even born, men are getting some extremely powerful messages on what it takes to be a man. And I'm talking Mm -hmm. kind of like suffocating messages on what it takes to be a man and how they should look, act, and behave as men, right? Mm -hmm. And so going to the beginning, right? Going to the beginning, you know, baby boys, right? If we find out a baby boy is being born, what color is usually the room? Blue. Nailed it. Yes, blue, (laughs) right? And so start thinking about, because we kind of talked about some of our toys we had, right? As young girls, the dolls, the, all the domestication stuff, the makeup kits. And I mean, the the kind of things that boys are getting, right? To kind of um, start instilling their interests, right? And kind of their hobbies, um, much different much different, right? So, and maybe JC could be a great start off on this because you have a little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of, especially um, kind of more stereotypical or very masculine 
kind of toys, use my air quotes on that masculine there for those who are not watching the video. Uh, what are some of maybe the more like masculine baby or toddler toys that you've seen? Yeah, I think like any superhero, any trucks, um, definitely even like, I think any toy where it's just specifically a boy color or a color that's mostly guided, you know, geared towards boys. So like things that are a color green, you know, toy or, you know, um, red or anything like that. Cause I clearly remember once someone accidentally giving us a girl toy and they purposely said, I accidentally gave him a girl toy and I didn't realize it. And it was blue and purple. And so I was like, Oh, that's fine. Like he'll love it. And she was like, no, 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 no. Let me take that back. I don't want to give him a girl toy. And I was like, no, it's okay. But again, <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of times there's that expectation and of like having to give a boy, a little boy, a toddler, or, you know, even a baby, a specific color because it's not, boy enough, you know, so, you know, having to give them like something that's yellow, or even, you know, red or blue or green. Um, but definitely, I've seen um, toys such as like superheroes that are boys like Batman and Superman. Um, and then, you know, trucks or just anything that is really geared specifically for boys, you know, so I definitely have seen that. And even with the gifting that my son gets many times on his birthday or Christmas, it definitely will be an item like that. Yeah. Yeah, superheroes is a huge one, which I think there's a little bit more now coming out for female superhero representation, but it's still primarily, you know, you see that superhero and it's the primary gender that's assigned to it as male. I think about as they get a little bit older, you know, like the Nerf guns and all of that, which goes along with, like Lisa was saying, the mm -hmm. the girls, you know, they're into that or they're taught socially constructed to be into that domesticated kind of those toys. And then the boys are like to protect the woman. And so they need to have the guns and the trucks and all of that. So I just that's what I thought of when you asked about toys for little boys is maybe a little bit older when they can have the coordination, but <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the Nerf yeah. guns, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say my nephew, my nephew is now, he just turned 12. Um, but yeah, he's been obsessed with weapons for a minute now. It's like his favorite thing. He, I think he has like every Nerf gun you could buy. I think he's really got like a whole arsenal of them. He's obsessed, but I love that idea that you kind of just spoke to, right? That you're seeing an idea that for females, um, you know, the toys, everything is kind of focused on, it's almost, you know, domesticating and almost just kind of making a very delicate version of us, right? A very yes. soft, a very, you know, it's supposed to have very um, mm -hmm. delicate and soft interests, right? Like just taking care of us and shopping and looking pretty and, you know, just talking with our girlfriends because we can't get hurt doing that, right? It's supposed to be very, uh, very like soft, fluffy kind of ideas for girls. Boys, it is very hardened, right? Almost this protector role. And I think it's interesting, like you said, it's almost kind of framing that, that's our job, right? And thinking about the impact of a young boy, right? Kind of just receiving that action figure because who are our heroes, right? Do we have, do we have any hero that really does not have that specific 
big brawny barrel chests, right? Those huge arms, that chiseled jaw, right? Like superheroes, they tend to kind of fit one archetype of man. It's this big, strong, powerful guy. And of course, again, there's 2020. I bet someone maybe is listening and it's like, wait, but this example, right? I There's going to be variation at this point. But again, our overarching message is like, that's who we're seeing, right? Mm-hmm. So even receiving that superhero, they're going to look and, and kind of start to think, right? Like, this is what a hero looks like. This is what's valued in our society. Everyone knows this guy. Everyone loves this guy. Everyone knows he's a good man, right? But these are the things he has to do to, to be that man, right? So he's got to have an incredibly unbelievable body shape that he's just keeping up with at all points of his life. He probably has no emotion, right? He's probably the guy that can just run into that burning building, no questions asked, not even sweating, do what he's got to do because that's what a man does, right? Doesn't have those emotions. And so, yeah, already learning from such a young age that there's a certain kind of male aesthetic I should look to aspire to. And also just a lot of that temperament, right? Because we, again, hero temperament is usually that kind of loner, isolated, They don't need anybody. They don't need help from anyone, right? Um, They're their own hero, you know, and again, they're going to fit that that kind of certain emotionless, hyper-masculine archetype, right? And so to think about that further, yeah, boys really are. They're really kind of primed from a young age to start to kind of take on more of a hardened kind of character role, right? So yeah, yeah, giving them things like weapons, um, you know, giving them things to kind of indulge even certain hobbies, right? That aren't seen so much for females. So giving them stuff to build with, right? Because they're usually like engineering and mathematic fields, right? Those usually aren't female fields, right? So giving them Legos and stuff like that to kind of start building up with trucks and, and things to build, right? And doing like construction and kind of DIY and fix it work, right? And on top of that, again, these these kind of archetypes of male that they should aspire to be, right? And roles that they're going to look up and try to fit into. And so again, this is happening, right? And this is just, we're talking about early childhood development. Like that's really the only kind of surface of this we've really scratched on, right? Is kind of how hard this is directed just towards young children, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that, yeah, I mean, obviously we know this is important, right? Everyone's going to kind of tell us if we're stepping out of line, we have, you know, ways of kind of policing each other. We have words like tomboy, right? That kind of just label people as different, mark them outside of the boxes, right? And so we know this is not only happening in childhood, right? We know this is consistently happening around us all of the time. Um, And it has been for quite some time, right? These are just ideas that have continually been passed on. And so once we start to kind of get into adulthood, right? Maybe teenage years uh, or, you know, even like young adult years, we now not only have toys and different um, influences like that, like parents in our lives, but now we have media, right? And media is the most powerful messenger we have, right? Mm -hmm. Media is kind of this all encompassing omnipresent thing. It's just dictating who we are, what's normal to us and what's okay, right? And these messages are coming in pretty strong through media. And so I wanted to take a second here. I want to start talking about maybe some characters we've seen, right? Maybe there's some TV shows you guys are familiar with, some movies where you're kind of seeing these characters played out, right? And what we're talking about is that stereotype we've been alluding to. So that hyper-masculine man, right? Or that super hyper-feminized kind of, you know, only kind of one track minded female, right? And so I'm, I'm curious as to where have you maybe... Um, heard this in media, right? Maybe in music or seen this in media, maybe through character roles. 
I think I see it very often with a lot of like famous artists that are women. A lot of times they are objectified or sexualized in just their appearance, um, especially because it's something that they know will attract the audience. Right. And even hearing back from some of them, because some of them give, you know, um, their story or, you know, they just talk about pretty much the role that they had to step into, you know, pretty much kind of like an acting role of, you know, how sexualized they have to be, the lyrics that they even use to pretty much attract audience because they know that that is what society wants, right? Or expects from them. And so for me, I see it very often with artists and it kind of makes me sad at times, right? Because we know that there's so many youth and so many children that look up to these artists and want to be just like them. And they're not being respected in the way where they're not, they're being seen as an object, right? Or they're being sexualized. They're not really being seen for who they are. But you do have some artists that do do that. But I just want to say, you know, top of like my head, sometimes you'll see um, people like, you know, let's think, (laughs) Lady Gaga, right, where she was very sexualized at the very beginning. And she even talks about kind of her depression and just the expectation and stress and pressure she had to just be who she was, right? This kind of appearance of like acting and acting in a sexual way or sexual manner. Um, And then you have also like Nicki Minaj, again, who's also very uh, sexualized in the way that she looks and even some of her lyrics. And again, it's due to some of those expectations that society kind of expects from them being women, right? And then even like, I just want to give this example, not really pinning it down to someone specifically, but even like anything that's driven, um, like the NFL, where a lot they know that a lot of their audience are men, right? We know women also watch football, but a, most of their audience is men. And a lot of times their commercials are sexualized, right? Um, because they know that that's what's going to attract them. Um, and they know that that is what, you know, society wants or expects, you know, out of their commercials. And so it just makes me really sad. I wish that they could see women as who they are opposed to their stereo, you know, how they stereotype us as at times. Um, but that's just some examples that I can think of. Yeah. And I shared before we started that I'm not very good at thinking of like movie characters and celebrities and TV shows. It's like, I'll watch something and then every single quote and everything about that just leaves my mind. like (laughs) not a strong suit. But you know what I just thought of, which is timely for right now around the holidays, Hallmark Christmas movies and the gender stereotypes in those. They are so predictable for a reason because we know But as soon as we're introduced to a female character, she's about to be introduced to this male, you know, who's going to be this love of her life, but they're going to have this back and forth, you know. And that's something that we watch every year because we know that it's predictable. It feels so comfortable for us, you know. I know that this year they did come out with a male homosexual couple, which I haven't seen that one yet, but they're starting to come around to other relationships, but that just came to me as an example of things that I've seen on TV that that really display those gender stereotypes is you know exactly what's going to happen because it's the predictable and expected thing to happen. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a lot of this, right? I think that's a lot of why these 
gender roles really are reinforced and passed on so strongly because Mm -hmm. it's a way for people to feel like comfortable because it's predictable, right? We know what to expect out of each other. That makes it easier, right? And, And I think that's especially why once you see individuals who don't fit, right, that perfectly hyper-masculine archetype of a dude or that perfectly hyper-feminine woman, right? That's why you have people that kind of get uncomfortable or speak up and say something to them, right? Maybe try to correct their behavior. You know, you don't do that as a boy or a girl, right? Or just kind of feel that way, feel a little bit uncomfortable. And it's, I think it speaks back to why we do this, right? There's an air of predictability with it. It's an air of, it helps me understand who I am, which I think is like an existential question every human is always challenged with, like, who am I, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in a way we, we hold on to it so strongly because it almost gives us an answer to that, right? Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, um, looking deeper, it's like, no, this can't be the answer, right? Like this could never be the answer because really we're trying to limit people in these two boxes, right? And so to kind of dive back in again, you know, for for men, what we're really expecting out of men, right? And again, this isn't me and Brianna and JC, like opposite, right? Like not us. This is, we're talking <laughs> about society's expectations, right? But society's expectations, um, what, you know, the messaging is for how men should look at and behave. Number one on that list goes to emotion, right? Men should not have or express emotions. Mm-hmm. They can have one. They can have one. Do one of you want to humor me? What's the one emotion that men can have? Is it anger? Yes, it is, Brianna. You get the gold star for the day. <laughs> gold star to three. But men can be angry, right? That's the one emotion because men, they can be angry, especially if they're trying to show their dominance, right? Kind of prove maybe who the bigger man is, get what they want because they deserve to get what they want, right? In this life. And you can just go out and take it, right? And so anger is really widely accepted especially again for maintaining a uh, private status, right? Or maintaining that character and who they are. But other than that, men are asked to be really emotionless. And so that's why, especially when I'm teaching this to high schoolers, I always say that, you know, there are a lot of people that maybe fit into these boxes a little bit just like with who they are, right? There may be some guys that kind of do look this way and um, kind of have these interests like naturally, right? It's kind of hard to say whether or not media is not influencing them, right? Because it's always around us, but there could be people that have those interests, right? And same thing with women. There's a lot of women that enjoy kind of fitting um, that hyper-feminine archetype, right? They like dressing up. They like doing their makeup. They like having those hobbies. But outside of that, right, there's a million other variations of people. I know even just like as one woman, right? Like there's some days where I like to get a little bit glammed up. There's other days where I don't, right? And that's fine. It doesn't make me any less of a woman on those days where we're not dressing up, right? Um, But again, I always tell them, you know, these are just two boxes. These can't be who we are, right? It's impossible. And especially for the young men, because even if you do have these interests, look and kind of act like this guy, you have emotions. You're a human being, right? Unless you are a diagnosed kind of psychopath, right? Or sociopath who's lacking that human empathy. Everyone has those human emotions, right? So there's no way you can fit into that role, right? Mm -hmm. And for women, especially when the images that we are being shown, right? Because we know women's focus is more so about looks, right? Men, it's emotionless. Women, it's look perfect to show up and be perfect. But the images we see, they're they're fake images, right? So we know that we can't even add up to this. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, an especially important conversation to have with young people, right? As much as this may be kind of a little bit of who someone is and in, in their own way, it's still these boxes, we can never be them, right? And so to, to think about men as these emotionless creatures who think about women in really derogatory, um, really 
unhealthy ways that, that treat women like objects, right, or status symbols that only care about certain things in their life and nothing else, right? Um, limiting and insulting. And same thing for women, right? To think about women as just these really insecure, um, and I'll make a point here. I think in a way we're brought up to be fundamentally insecure, right? Like we know everything we're seeing, there's no way we can be that, right? But to just think about women as vain, insecure, all we care about is gossip and shopping and our looks and we can't control our emotions. Again, insulting and limiting, right? And it's it's wild to think about because these these are the overarching messages. And, you know, some other, I, to go back kind of to that characters that we see, I remember I grew up, right, in my air quotes, tomboy house, right, with my brothers, we watched so much action movies, right? And I think back, and now I still love these movies, but I think about like how much they play a part, right, and really sending these messages, right? The kinds of male roles and role models I saw in that movie. And I think about now, you know, how my brothers kind of view themselves as men, right? And how much of that messaging they definitely took from a lot of these role models, right? It's it's super interesting and it's really everywhere, right? We have it in influencers. I think the Kardashians are a great example of that kind of hyper-feminization, right? Um, always kind of focusing on looks and what's current. We have those kind of the superhero action figure types, right? Um, or those action movie guys. And so it's really kind of depicting one way for us. I think we see that messaging, like you mentioned, you know, in movies and, and now even like in lyrics and music. And then now you have also social media, right? Which can mm -hmm. be very impactful to our youth because now they're seeing kind of that man box, right? And also, as we do say, like, you know, that girl flower, woman flower, where, you know, men are expected to be tough and to be strong and to be dominant and powerful, right? And anything outside of that, you're not manly enough. And with you know, being a woman, it's like you are made to feel like you're supposed to be helpless, right? Or you're seen as helpless. That's why you need a man in your life to really help you and be strong for you. Um, also, you know, you're supposed to be sensitive. You're supposed to look beautiful at all times. You're supposed to look young as well. And so there's so much pressure around that, right? Where sometimes it makes it really difficult for us to be who we really are because we feel like we have to fit some of these expectations and kind of what society expects from us or um, how we, you know, need to fall under kind of this gender role. And so for me, I think I can't imagine now the pressures that youth feel, you know, um, at a very young age through just social media, because I know I felt it when I was young, um, but I didn't even have social media really kind of having that extra pressure, level of pressure on my life. And now when I, you know, as an adult, and I even take a look at my social media, and I follow certain artists or just actors, and sometimes some of their messaging can be heartbreaking, right? Because you're falling kind of under what society expects. And like you mentioned, you know, like the Kardashians um, and specific artists, you know, that definitely do that. And I think for us, it's really important to kind of shift uh, what society really expects and really show them that it's really important to be who you are. And it, you shouldn't be categorized under, you know, specific gender, such as female and male, because we know there's more than that. Yeah, I'm so glad I survived middle school without social media. <laughs> Can you imagine? I really, I really can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like terrifying to think about. We had MySpace. By the time I was a True. senior in high school, we had MySpace and like, 
Facebook had just started in my senior year of high school. Um, and I can say, yeah, I second that as soon as JC were like, thank God we didn't have social media back then. My yes. heart like sunk down. I was like, oh my God, could you imagine? Like that would have been, that would have been awful, you know, cause I can, I can speak personally. I, I was bullied, um, a lot in school and that was a huge part of it was me just like going through a lot and having personal things, but also just in a way, right. And projecting that and me just being who I was. Right. And so, yeah, I can't imagine, um, outside of just school and that pressure, if there was social media, if there was imagery, more imagery to compare myself to that mm -hmm. was on the regular, I cannot, yeah, that would have been oof, terrifying to think about for my young, my poor young middle school self, you know, what, yeah. a, what a detrimental level of messaging. Kudos to everyone doing that right now. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And I'll tell you also, you know, because we, we all work with students, um, JC and I, we both have counseling hours at both of the schools. I do counseling at the high school. And, you know, that's been a, a huge part of so many conversations I've had with young women, especially. Um, it's, really challenging, right, to help them navigate um, how they see themselves. And it's really heartbreaking. I've had, I've had extraordinary young women come in and, you know, for all intensive purposes, right, if this was their worry, like, you know, standardized, like beautiful young women, right, on top of the amazing qualities, accomplishments and, and character of who they are. But women come in and just so many, so many sessions of girls feeling like they don't add up. And it is so hard, right? It's so hard as an adult um, and to think about, right? Like what they're facing, not being able to even internalize that, right? How it would have been for me being a, a junior or a sophomore, right? With all of those feelings and, and that impact and that pressure. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely something, I think it's so common, right? Because this it's gonna have a huge impact on who we are and not just, not just women, right? But think about that idea for men, right? And kind of what JC was said, they have to be dominant and strong and tough and aggressive. I remember asking my ninth graders, we were talking about gender. We spent about a half hour debunking, really talking about what does it take to be a man? You know, what do you look at and behave like? And same thing for women, right? We did this as a class. It was amazing. And afterwards we were talking about all the male stereotypes and the boys in the room got very kind of empowered, right? And we're really leading this really incredible conversation about times where they had to show up or times where they had to kind of shut off because that's how a man would react or, you know, all these kind of personal stories. And I remember just sitting there and looking at them being like, aren't you guys exhausted? Like, are you tired? Like all of the time? And I had one boy and I'll never, I will never forget this. I almost get like emotional thinking about it. I remember this one young man looked at me. He was like, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. tired. And like the way he said it, the look on his face, it was just like pure authenticity, right? Like pure organic, mm -hmm. like, thank you for letting me have a moment to be like, yeah, this sucks, right? And a hugely transformative moment. I mean, not only for me, right, as an educator, but I think other peers in the room, right? Like other young men were like, oh, okay, cool. Like he really spoke up about it. I saw kind of young women kind of validating like, oh, wow, right? Like maybe I didn't recognize that that's how much pressure you guys were under, right? Or maybe why your behavior is the way that it is or why you're acting or talking in certain ways, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, so going back, it's just, um, it's really important that we not only take the time, right? Kind of how we have to look at how this is 
message uh, or the messaging, how it's directed towards children. Now breaking into media, I think looking at all of these kind of archetypes that we see, right, all these role models, that's it's hugely important in high school, right, and in middle school. Um, and then not only do we have kind of character roles, we have music that talks about it, right? I know just thinking about like a lot of common, I don't mean to speak badly on rap. I love rap music. Um, but I'm just thinking about a lot of female rap artists, right? And some of their lyrics right now I can think about is basically all about what they look like. It's getting your nails done. It's your hair did. It's, um, <laughs> there's a Megan the Stallion song. It talks about big fake booties, right? So kind of just like all the work that goes into, and then also the kind of man, right? Like the six figure guy that they're going to get, right? Because they're doing all this. So it's everywhere. And then this steady stream also comes in I mean, everywhere in our lives, but also in advertising. It becomes this really important kind of other steady stream tributary to this issue, right? And I'm going to start by saying this is a quote from Jean Kilborn. Jean Kilborn is a woman that's been studying the effects of media and gender for now over 60 years. This woman is a pioneer. She is incredible. Um, but she's been especially studying advertisements because she's known for 60 years that advertising has a really kind of detrimental effect, especially on women, but just on spreading these messages in general. And when she talks about advertising, she uses this quote. I want to quote her directly because I think it's really important to understand this and really powerful. Advertising affects us all. Ads sell more than products. They sell values. They sell images of love and sexuality, of success, of normalcy. Mm -hmm. To a great extent, ads tell us who we are and who we should be. I remember hearing that and just being like really wowed by that. I think it's like we know we see ads all the time. We're so used to them that I, I felt like in that moment, I didn't really understand how much power ads really had over me until she said that, right? Um, and so I want to kind of open this up with you and talk about, because I know I have seen so many horrendous advertisements that are so maybe objectifying towards women, maybe are so kind of insulting and um, limiting towards men, right? Even before we recorded this today. We had some fun. We were kind of looking at some together. So I want to kind of open it up and start talking about um, some of the more maybe intense examples of these general expectations you guys have seen in, in ads. Yeah, so I have uh, just a general comment on media that kind of displays how powerful and pervasive it is in our lives. I remember I've only been to Times Square in New York City one time. And when I arrived there, I remember being so captivated by all of the ads and everything that are just flickering all around you. And I remember talking to my husband and saying, like, seeing an, an ad for this whatever product on the screen, it flashes up there. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to go buy that right now because I saw that ad in Times Square. You know, and I was kind of working through, like, how do these ads work if that's not how it works of like, I see it once and it makes me want to go buy it. I've never really felt that. And then we talked about it and we figured out that it's because we're seeing it in Times Square. We're seeing it on TV. We're seeing it on social media. We're seeing it in stores. We're seeing it all these different ways. Some, some of the ways subconsciously too, right? You mm -hmm. see a logo or something and it's that overall, like you're, so exposed to it everywhere 
that eventually makes you more familiar with that product and then makes you want to buy that product. So it's not just that one ad in Times Square, it's the fact that it's that one and the other one and the other way we see that and the other way we see that it is everywhere. So that was a huge realization for me because I had never really had that conversation with someone else or even with myself about how ads really work like that. And then just the fact that, you know, when we see commercials on TV and a lot of commercials will have those jingles that go along with them. And I'll find myself, you know, going around doing whatever around the house and the TV's on. And then that commercial comes on and I'll like hum along to the tune, you know, finish the jingle. And I'm like, what just happened to me? <laughs> I didn't set out to learn that, you know, but yeah, it's again, that overexposure of it's been in my head so many times that I can just finish the jingle without ever setting out to want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's a pretty incredible effect that happens. So and looking at it closer too, and I talk about this with my high schoolers, um, and especially when I'm talking about violence, right? This is not a, a huge segue set aside. We have talked before about how violence is a learned behavior, right? Something that you could intrinsically kind of learn because you're exposed to it. And so what I'm teaching that concept and the same thing, I can apply it here, right? Of kind of maybe hearing something, you don't think you're learning it and boom, you're singing the, the jingle, right? I say um, our brains do this pretty incredible thing, right? To overexposure. So just like how we could be overexposed to violence or in this case, messaging, right? In the jingle or an advertisement. What our brain does, I'll backtrack. Have you guys ever hated a song, but you know all the words to it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? We all have. And I always say like, we're not like spite learning the lyrics on Google, like, oh, the song sucks. What is it again? How does it go? No, right? We usually know the words because we've just heard it so many times that even if we are like, oh, turn it off, our brain is still hearing it. Our brain is deciding for us, hey, I hear this all the time. It must be important, right? So it does that work without us even kind of being behind the driver's wheel, right? That kind of steers itself and, and picks up that information without us knowing it, right? And so it's really interesting because again, yeah, messaging, media, right? Um, advertisements like that, even if you don't think you're paying attention, even if you're like, oh, that jingle it drives me nuts, I can't stand it, right? your brain's intaking that information. And so really this is with all media, right? If we're really mm -hmm. kind of overexposed to something and it's important to note too, I don't know for adults, but teenagers, so high school age teenagers, this is a national average, spend 10 hours a day consuming media. So mm -hmm. 10 hours a day, it's more than I'm working in a day, uh, more than I sleep at night, right? So that's, yeah, heavy dosage if we're watching TV and listening to the music and uh, seeing the advertisements, right? Like, of course, that's going to get in. How would that not get in after 10 hours, right? Mm -hmm. And again, even if you're actively disagreeing with the messaging, just 10 hours of exposure, it's doing something, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it's important to kind of think about that, right? That's why advertising is really powerful. It has a way of kind of just being oversaturated, right? And in a way that we just kind of keep seeing it and seeing it and it's normalized, right? Mm -hmm. And so and that's why it kind of works, especially when we start to see really crazy advertising, right? I'm talking about the really very over-sexualized images. I'm talking about the overly violent images that we see. Um, I'll ruin a surprise. We're going to have another episode of this where we are going to have so much fun, by the way, but we are mm -hmm. going to look at 
advertisements and we are going to kind of pull them up um, and take a moment and really kind of discuss the messaging. We're going to pick them apart a little bit. And so a lot of this work can be done there, right? Um, but when we're looking at ads, um, they could either be really kind of grotesque in a way, right? Or they could kind of be Maybe they're not grotesque to us, right? Some of these crazy ads that we see. Maybe uh, we see that violent or the really over-sexualized ad, and maybe we're that kind of person that's like, ooh, I'm kind of into that, right? So why they're doing this, why they have to make them kind of this over-sexualized in the first place, this over-violent is first off, because think about that, right? Think about walking through Times Square and how many ads are flashing at the same time, right? Think about scrolling through your phone on media and how many things are flying by you, right? So in our culture, if, if advertisers want their product to be seen, it has to be a pretty eye-catching image, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah, because we're so normalized to a lot of different uh, violence and things like that in our lives, you know, they really have to push it over the top, right? And again, so once they push it over the top, they know it's going to get eyes on it. And either way, even if you're that person that's like, oh my God, did you see this Carl's Jr. commercial? This girl mm -hmm. was just like half naked with a cheeseburger. It was so offensive. Or if you're that person that's like, whoa, did you guys see Carl's Jr.? That was awesome. Well, either way, the advertisers won, right? Because regardless if I'm disgusted, if I'm still talking about that product, I'm still advertising for them, right? So they've won. Regardless of how I'm feeling about it, I'm still, I'm marketing for them at this point, right? Maybe I'm like, oh my God, did you guys see this? And now I'm like showing people the product, right? And so it's a really, it's a really kind of sad catch 22. Again, these are concepts of normalcy of, um, you know, kind of concepts of, things that make us comfortable, right? Because there's expectations that we can kind of rely on. And now at the same time too, we know that no matter what and how we're gonna kind of get these messages to you to kind of get you to buy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, no matter how these messages are gonna land, it's gonna be effective, right? And so it's this really kind of all-encompassing all-encompassing kind of well-oiled machine, right? Of us receiving these messages and really making sure that we kind of hold ourselves to these boxes, right? That men pretty much reject what is feminized, don't put value in things that are feminized. For some reason, relationships and caring and certain colors are feminized, right? And on the flip side for women, there's things that you cannot kind of be, uh, you know, you can't like emasculate or uh, become masculine yourself, right? And so, um, especially in advertising, it becomes really important because we're a consumer culture. If they want us to buy stuff, right, what a great thing to do. Tell us we're not good enough, right? Tell mm -hmm. young women and girls that we're not pretty enough, that we're not skinny enough, right? Tell those guys that, hey, you're not getting all the girls out there like you're supposed to. Well, here's this Axe body spray, right? And apparently, mm -hmm. according to Axe, if you spray that body spray on, girls come like running over the hillsides to come and get you, right? That was actually an Axe commercial, by the way. I'm not even making that up. Yep. Um, and so it really kind of breaks down, right? Again, it's concepts of normalcy. It's things we're comfortable with. And then it really is going to create some really good little consumers, right? Because especially women, right? We're taught to spend every amount of time and energy and money into what we look like. Lisa, I have a real life story <laughs> and experience yeah, that I want to share. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with Kylie Jenner and her makeup line. Sure am. So I've always been <laughs> getting a little personal. I've always been really insecure about my lips because I always felt like my upper lip is really small. And so I clearly remember 
her stating um, in one of her shows with the, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians that her lips were bigger because of the way that she did her lipstick and because of her makeup line, right? And so me over here, <laughs> get I totally get lured in and I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to try her lipsticks. Like maybe that's what I need, right? Because I don't want to do anything to my lips. I'm not trying to get lip fillers or do anything like that. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm that's just not something that I like or prefer to do. And so I went and bought these lipsticks thinking that my lips were going to look a lot bigger, right? And I clearly remember having this conversation with my partner because he thought it was like the silliest thing. Because he was like, why are you spending so much money on makeup for your lips? You know, and I'm like explaining to him how it's going to make my lips look bigger and how like Kylie Jenner did it. And he was just like, you do know that she got work done, right? Like she got lip fillers. <laughs> and I was like, no, she did not. It's her lipsticks. Like that's why she's so good. And like that's why she's making millions off of it. And he like literally showed me the article of like, you know, her actually confessing that she got her lips done because she was really insecure about it. And I was just so mad. <laughs> but we literally had a full right. We had a full-on conversation about how most of her advertisement, so all her ads, even though she's doing its makeup that goes on your face, it involves her body. And it's very sexualized, right? Where she's like wearing really tight clothing or she's barely wearing any clothing, but that's how it sells because we know that that's what society kind of expects, right? And wants. And so I was just like, honestly, I just had a moment where I was like, so angry. I was just like, I feel lied to. And we, <laughs> but we had a conversation around how, you know, there's all these expectations that we have, like just being a woman, you know, like you have to look beautiful and everything has to look perfect and you need to look thin or you need to have a specific, you know, body shape. And sometimes even as an adult, those stressors are real and like that pressure is real. Right. And I obviously fell right into it. So I just wanted to share that because I was like, you know what, I'm an adult and this happened to me. And I was a little ashamed and upset during that, you know, when that happened. But it was really a learning lesson for me as in, you know what, JC, be happy with what you have just because, you know, big lips are in right now or Kylie Jenner, you know, made her lips bigger does not mean that, you know, you need to feel like your lips are not good or need to be bigger, or you need to do anything, or purchase anything specifically to make them look bigger, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that happens all the time. There's so many, there's a million products. There's a million products with a million guarantees for women, right? Mm -hmm. Because, oh, it's just, it becomes so important because yeah, that's what's gonna sell, because she mm -hmm. knows that that's the idea, the concept, that young women are really holding on to and aspiring to be, right? According to the gender role she's following, she knows young girls are following. And at the same time, right? Like that's what men are validating. Mm -hmm. That's what men are kind of going off and, and, you know, and it's not to say that these women aren't attractive women, like, oh my gosh, like, of course they're, they're beautiful girls, right? But in one hand, right? Kind of holding up this idyllic image of beauty, this very unrealistic idyllic um, image of beauty, right? Because yeah, there may be work done um, or just Photoshop and image editing, image editing mm -hmm. that we don't get to really do or mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people do have access to at this point and really in the grand scheme of things, right? There's a lot of apps where like you could change the way you look, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it plays both ways, right? It speaks to kind of what men are looking for out of women. It speaks to what other women are looking at other women to kind of look like and be, right? And that standard that they're placing. And 
And the same thing happens the other way too, right? I think like men get really reinforced in that role of that bad boy, right? Because women validate that. That's what women are like into is that bad boy posturing, right? Like, and so thinking about that, right? It's funny. It's funny to think about a moment of like you and your boyfriend really like dismantling this, like, honey, like this isn't real, right? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like we both have we both have those specific things going on, right? And we both have ways that we both continually reinforce it like with each other, which is really interesting to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I love I love that. And I feel like we've all fallen a victim to that. I know I have yes. fallen a victim to that. Oh, so hard. I remember at the beginning of this quarantine, I remember at the beginning of this <laughs> quarantine, I remember like, and it was like, you know, I like wasn't trying to go to the store. Like it was really like, if I go to the store, it's like, I have to go, right? I have nothing more in my house. But I remember even at first, right? Like back, back in the old days, um, I was like feeling pressure, like, oh my God, like, but like, I don't have any makeup on because I've just been like sitting here or like my hair, like I'm not, you know, I haven't gone anywhere. So like, oh, I can't just go to the store. I remember like the first couple of times, like, like, even though I have a mask on, right? Like still like doing my eyes and stuff to like go to the store. The the funny part of it now is like now I'm I'm dressed up because I'm like recording here today, but like now me rolling to the grocery store is like ha ha ha, right? Like if like <laughs> I have like a half up on, I'm like, I don't care anymore, right? And I was thinking about how, you know, when it was especially like right at the time where we were going out all the time and going to work right before we kind of had this like at home order or getting really used to just being at home, like I felt that pressure, right? If I didn't have that makeup on or if I didn't like have my hair done, even if it was something so stupid, like literally running into the store for one thing, there'd be times where like I felt like, oh no, I have to take a second though and just like even just do my lashes, right? Or even just like braid my hair or do something, right? Because I can't show up like this, which is crazy, right? And I can't imagine, I know I've, I have so many men I'm close to in my life, right? Like my old roommates are guys, like my brothers. I have a lot of close guy friends. I know none of them would ever have that thought. I know none of them would ever have a thought like, oh, I just got to run to the store really quick. Well, like, oh, like, let me like change. And like, let me like throw some gel in my hair. Like none of them would be, right? Like at all. Um, And so, yeah, I think we all feel that pressure. I think there's a million ways we feel that pressure, right? Because again, we share it with each other. We share it with others. If we don't see guys kind of acting that way, you know, like we're really quick to call guys out, especially as girls, right? And same thing as women. We are really quick to criticize other women, right? For how they look, for what they're doing, talking about their weight, talking about whatever it is, right? And so to kind of think about this, because again, I mean, this is already a longer episode. We could spend hours and hours talking about this debunking this. We're going to take a whole other episode to do that. Um, But to kind of just start wrapping it up here today, because there's really no one way to fix this, right? There really isn't. We think about it again, it comes down to consumer culture. You know, it keeps us buying products to kind of fill the roles. It's normalized and kind of comforting to us to have these little boxes that we're supposed to be in, right? And guiding us and telling us who we are. And it's all saturated throughout our media in every way, shape and form directed at every age group, right? And so to to get rid of this, I mean, it would be huge. It would be a complete top-down total societal shift. It would have to start with the media messaging that we're shown, right? It would have to be complete reconfiguration of how we dictate men and women and how the roles that they play, right? And how we project and show different roles that they play. Um, It would take, you know, advertising and marketing and companies that are selling things to us, right? To kind of change their marketing, their advertising, Mm -hmm. their ways, which 
let's face it, that's a lot to ask for them, right? They'd be missing out on a whole lot of money. Um, and then, yeah, and then everyone following suit, right? After that, that top-down effect, it would take everyone of us in culture to reject um, those stereotypes and make sure that we're allowing space for inclusion, right? But again, that's a huge ask, right? That's a huge ask. But mm -hmm. I'll say one thing. Um, I think, you know, it's not have it be such a such a grim look, right? Because there there is there's chance for change. It comes down to, you know, even though it takes the whole society, even us as individuals, right? We can we can start to create an impact. It's about even you being here today and being a part of this conversation um, and listening to this. And maybe this was the first time that you kind of took your lenses off, right? I remember before I really learned about this, it's such a normal part of life that like, I didn't really even recognize it was happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like there was ads that maybe I could see sometimes that are like, whoa, that's a little graphic. But until I really like had these conversations, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, like the level of objectification or like this, right? Or these messages are so limiting. Like, again, it was just what life was. And so mm -hmm. to a lot of us, that might be where you're at right now. Maybe this was a really eye-opening conversation and the first time that you're kind of seeing it through these different lenses, right? Of like, oh, wow, this is stuff that we created, right? Um, and so just being here, talking about it, understanding it. Um, I know, you know, there's a lot of people that do work in this. There is a young girl, this was about 10 years ago, but there was a young girl wasn't even 17 yet, but she petitioned to 17 magazine to um, limit their use of Photoshop in their magazines. And she had a huge following, um, got petitions signed with like thousands and thousands and thousands of signatures, created kind of a following and a fan base. And they did it right. It's like 17 responded and said, you're right. We need to be more empowering for young women. Right. So there's work being done. Um, it's a slow progression, but just you being conscious, right. You being conscious in how you talk to other people, what you expect from other people, the expectations you're putting on yourself, right? If you have kids, especially thinking about those moments JC shared at the beginning, right? And navigating, you know, the kind of toys maybe they'll like, and maybe it's not going to assign to their gender. Maybe people will have things to say on that, right? And how you navigate those conversations. And so, yeah, it's going to take a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, again, just talking about it, right? Just kind of uncovering it. And we'll spend a whole other episode, which I'm really excited about that. Mm -hmm. I think looking at ads is going to be too much. Get our raw reactions. Too much fun for the three of us. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that being said, I appreciate you being here for this conversation today. Uh, we want to you know, make sure that we're ending with some good self-care. You guys have taken time and really been a part of something really empowering. So we want to make sure that we're going to take some breaths with you um, and close out the way that we always do with some self-care. So the lovely Miss JC is going to now guide us through a meditation. Okay, so for today, we're going to go ahead and do a gratitude meditation. This is a great meditation to do at the beginning of the day or at the very end. So right now, if you can, go ahead and turn off your phone and free yourself of any interruptions. Please don't listen to this recording while you're driving. So make sure you go ahead and take a long, slow breath. Close your eyes if you are comfortable. Go ahead and take a deep breath in and slowly exhale. Feel any tension melting away as you gradually relax deeper with each breath. Take another long, slow breath. Deep breath in and exhale. Feel yourself drifting into a state of deep relaxation. 
Continue to breathe slowly and gently as you bring your awareness to the top of your head. Picture a warm, loving, golden light spreading from the top of your head down to your toes. Feel your muscles relax as the light washes over you, surrounding and protecting you. Take a few more deep breaths in and relax deeply. In this safe, relaxed state, reflect on all the things you are grateful for, loved ones. Breathe in your lungs, sunshine, fresh air. Give yourself a nice compliment. As each gratitude appears, visualize yourself saying the words thank you to each. Picture the person you are grateful for standing in front of you. Tell them how grateful you are. Now allow the feeling of deep gratitude to come in your body. Notice where in your body the feeling is. Take a deep breath in and allow this feeling to expand. Enjoy the pleasant feeling of gratitude that it gives you. And feel it washing away your tension and negativity. You can remain in this relaxed state as long as you like. Go ahead and take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. Breathe in some positivity and gratitude. Breathe out any negativity. When you are ready, end your gratitude meditation. So go ahead and start coming back. Open your eyes slowly. Wiggle your toes and your fingers. And I hope this meditation brought a feeling of gratitude. That Thank you, JC. Really like, nice. Yeah. I can tell you I started feeling baby kicks a couple weeks ago, and baby girl was not meditating with me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, hey, wake up, mommy. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was so lovely, JC. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, to everyone out there, to our listeners, uh, we really appreciate you being here with us today. You know, the kind of the more that we go into doing these podcasts, I feel like the the more unscripted we get, we kind of just start having our own conversations. So mm -hmm. we're just really appreciative if you're still here listening along, taking in this information, um, and being a part of this conversation with us. So. Thank you. We hope to see you again next time and be a part of our next conversation.